Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Inherited Will, a One Piece podcast. A weekly podcast discussing each sweet manga chapter and a reread of past chapters. My name is Thomas. And I'm Jordan. We'll be jumping into chapter 1031, then later chapters 389 through 399. Got a lot going on here, huh? Oh yes. Starting off with a lovely color spread done by the man Oda himself. I saw a, uh, a time lapse of this going around Twitter today. The man puts in a lot of effort into these suckers. I mean, there's a lot of detail, right? Like, he makes them all look so good. Quite so. Now, uh, it's my understanding, Jordan, that this particular cover art has put the, the fandom into a very mild state of contention, just because it appears to be you know, all the number one guys of the various crews that these people belong to, right? Mm-hmm. The contention point being uh, the fact that Shiryu is included, because Blackbeard's crew is like, it's got the ten Titanic captains, or whatever the heck they're called, and the leader of the number one ship is not Shiryu, but Jesus Burgess. So there's been a bit of a debate within the fandom the last several years, about who, like, the real number one guy is. But uh, Oda himself appears to be confirming it here. Not the burly man with the bag over his head, but Shiryu. <laughs> uh, I'm okay with this. Yeah, I didn't know that that was really a uh, fight going on. But uh, It literally doesn't matter, but uh, yeah, <laughs> this is right? the point people were making. <laughs> but hey, Oda put it to rest, and I'm here for it. I think it's also kind of being debated who the 10th guy is, because I may just be incorrect about this, but I think we've only been shown nine main crew members of Blackbeard. So it's like a mystery 10th person that's in charge of one of the ships that people are all hyped up to see. Maybe that's Aokiji, if he like actually has joined them, even if it's like facetious. Who knows? It's a big old mystery right now. I don't want it to be Aokiji, but I'll be waiting with bated breath. I'm sure it's Beppo. That's why he's here, right? Not because of the no. law connection. Definitely Blackbeard. Don't don't do it, Beppo. Look how cute he is with his little blushing cheeks. I just he's so casual here with Zoro looking quite menacing. It's a it's a good balance. They're both looking at Zoro's sword, it looks like, but with very different opinions about what they're seeing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Regardless, good sword. Indeed. They're both very impressed, and so am I. But that takes us right on into the chapter proper, chapter 1031, Warrior of Science. Uh, we're starting off with the winner of the biggest moron in One Piece award. Uh, this man, who claims that uh, Big Mom definitely couldn't have survived that. We don't even know who said it. Like they, Oda won't even show their face because we dunk on them too much. He will be forever shamed if he shows his face in public after this. So, uh, Yeah, I guess it could be that, like, bug-faced dude there. There is a little bit of a triangle coming off of that speech bubble. He's got enough going on. We don't need to do anything <laughs> to him. <laughs> Indeed. We see the aftermath of the big ol' awakening blasts from Law and Kid from the end of the last chapter. They're both pretty tuckered out after doing it, which doesn't bode well for them going forward. Law takes a moment to ask our man Kid, Hey, uh, tell me all the secrets about your power, pretty much. Kid does not respond favorably to that. Important information for Law to know, but judging from the immediate aftermath, the answer seems to be 
not very long. Uh, not in this situation. I would guess there are a few factors that play in, but uh, they don't have time to think about that. Quite so. Almost immediately, Big Mom busts out of her Iron Beam prison. Asks the question of the hour, life or Oshiruko? And, uh, oh no, they don't got none, and they're all real spooked, so they all get their souls taken. Oh dear, that's no good for those mooks. Feels oh so bad, especially for the mouse ear guy. Poor him. Yeah, they did play right into her hand, though. Literally and figuratively. She snatches their souls right out of their bodies. Not great. Then she puts those souls into the iron beams around the uh, around the crater that she was just placed in, pretty much. Takes out a little bit of her own lifespan. One year, she says. Pops it right on back into her body and gets even bigger. Oh boy. Bigger mom. Looking real <laughs> scary. This is the worst face, right? <laughs> like, of of all, this is just top. And there's three other faces that aren't great, you know, making a triangle around it. It's a whole thing. Quite so. It's a big old mess. It looks like, I mean, Big Mom clearly got bigger. Not really sure how much bigger, because she's always really big when drawn <laughs> next to everybody else. But uh, Napoleon, at least, got huge. And it looks like... Uh, Prometheus and Hera, Hera. Uh, also got a significant size boost as well. That's not good. No, but sh she does admit that it has been decades since she's been hurt that much. So, like, they really did something here, which is impressive in its own right. Indeed. Props to them for sure. Even Big Mom is, you know, impressed. She even says so. But uh, the fact that she can, like, pop bits of her own lifespan into her body and get an additional power boost and has not been doing so up until now. Yeah. Doesn't bode well. Because she's got more life to give. <laughs> I don't know oh, how much sure. more. She's pretty elderly lady and presumably because she's been doing this, she knows that she can do this. I assume she's done it before. So I don't know like how much more lifespan she actually has in her. A few years at the very least, <laughs> I would think. Yeah, Give me one second to check something. Uh, I thought maybe she said, like, my own lifespan, but it's just my lifespan. I was wondering if maybe, like, when she ate the the lady that was taking care of her or whatever, if she gained those years or could use those, but it, it seems to be just her life. All we get is this one speech bubble from her to clarify this issue but yeah, you know uh, i love to speculate though. indeed based on the currently available information i think you're correct yeah she says uh hey dudes coming from my throne bring it on boys i'm big and scary take it from me take my throne if you can law grumbles about that a little bit and kid is ready to fight bring her down even if it kills us and he uh, even says to uh, Law here, don't hold back any strength as long as you still live. We're going to bring you down. So uh, look at Law, or Kid rather, with the camaraderie. What a guy. Yeah, I mean, they can't have much left to give. Last, Just last chapter, they both said if they use their awakening, it's like 
Dunzo. Like Law <laughs> said that he will die if he uses it, right? Indeed. And now here they are fine? I mean, well, not fine, obviously. There's wheezes and huffs all abound, but I don't what are they what's the plan here, guys? If it's just you two, you just gave it your all and she shrugged it off. Yeah. It took like their final super duper trump card to damage her a little bit, and then she got a significant buff almost immediately thereafter. I really don't know how they're going to pull this off, but... And they have the homies to deal with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Three really big, really scary homies, and a whole bunch of itty-bitty boys. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm sure some circumstances will arise that will lead to it working, or some variation of working, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But man, I can't even imagine right now. Uh, Killer is currently free. I'm sure he'll just pop down here and his individual presence will turn the tide. Maybe Beppo will show up. Beppo will show up and we'll get his Sulon form and he'll solo Big Mom. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, the internet will be fine with it. It just makes sense. Quite so. I will personally cheer if that happens. On the following page, though... Some people behind Big Mom confronted with some samurai or comment, Oh man, she sure is big. Sure is bad here. <laughs> then we check in with Yamato, who, because of the problems currently on the live floor, decides to cut through the cave chamber, which, if you may recall, uh, and even if you don't, we're reminded of it immediately, uh, that's where Apu and Drake we're wheeling and dealing, but it seems as though their wheels and deals have broken down, because they are tussling. They sure are. I mean, Drake handles it really well, because it's a poo. Yeah, things get a little funky after that. Oh, yes. As soon as Yamato bursts onto the scene, causes a bit of a kerfuffle among their group, uh, Yamato doesn't really know what's going on with these two traitors to Kaido's operation. Apu also doesn't really know what's going on, but, you know, he betrays everyone who comes in contact with, so may as well try and jump into the Yamato bandwagon now that the Drake thing and the Kaido thing hasn't worked out. Um, Yamato doesn't want to hear it, though, clashes with Drake a little bit, and then bursts through uh, the door. Great. No problem. Everything's great. Even Fuga agrees with you. Now, Jordan, last week, uh, as soon as we saw the numbers for the first time, uh, a theory popped up in the community that claimed that, uh, and I didn't give this any thought at the time because I didn't think there was any like actual evidence to indicate this might be so, but the theory was that those three numbers, uh, Fuja, Ebi, and Zagi, I believe their names are, are those three samurai that were palling around with Yamato in that flashback uh, 10 or so chapters ago, and that the numbers aren't just, like, created out of nothing. They're created out of actual human beings turned into monsters. Well, that's terrifying, and I hate it. And if you'll take a look at those uh, pictures I sent you in Discord a little bit ago, you'll see that there are, like, some visual similarities between the group, it's like a stretch, certainly, but if you like imagined these three samurai guys like 
monsterified. I can kind of see it being so. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a stretch even. Like, I think that's pretty clear just like as a trio. <laughs> I guess the, the Fuga one is the weakest for me, but the other two, like, I don't know, just based off of shape and the fact that we have seen them recently, this is pretty good. I mean, even the facial hair, well, I guess not the facial hair for uh, Zagi, but there is like, I don't know, he's got like a tattoo there. And now we get this chapter where Fuga like sees Yamato and reacts to him mm-hmm. and like bursts through mm-hmm. the wall going after him. Kind of makes me think that this is indeed the case. And if that is the case, this yeah, is the worst. Not great. <laughs> a pretty terrible, terrible thing that uh, I guess Caesar Clown probably was doing. Because I think he said, or Kaido said, that the numbers were like created on Punk Hazard. So I guess Caesar probably has something to do with it. Oh. Yeah, I was going to guess Queen, but nope. But if that's so, then Zoro's presumed dad is like alive and on this island right now monster form but maybe i don't know chopper will cure him there are at least you know three pretty good doctors well four pretty good doctors here now so if anyone can cure this terrible monsterization that has happened uh they're probably on this island right now yeah yeah but also like there's so much chaos going on and I worry that they're gonna get hurt, you know? Uh, I guess so. I mean, if their intent is to just kind of follow Yamato down to the basement, I don't, I can't think of any specific reasons why that might be so, but. I guess it depends on how Yamato reacts to them. I, I doubt that uh, Fuga is something that he can like react to and be like oh that samurai so he could see fuga as an enemy trying to attack and take them out like they i don't know i i doubt oda would do that but it popped into my head so there you go it's also a little strange because yamato has been stuck on onigashima for his entire life pretty much and that whole thing Mm -hmm. where like he was stuck in the cave chamber and the three samurai broke out and confronted Kaido. That happened when he was like a small baby, pretty much a little child. Yeah. So they've been on the same Island, just kind of not interacting in any way for a decade or two. Probably. That sounds like a punishment that Kaido would enact. Yeah, I suppose so. But like, why, why made that like a, punishment if he's already like a monster right <laughs> wouldn't you think that kaido dickbag that he is would kind of want to be like this is what happens to people who befriend you something along those well, lines d- I, I mean yeah i guess so but do we even know when the numbers were created like how long has caesar been working with kaido oh i have no idea exactly so like we don't know when the monsterification happened so they were just spared the first time when they confronted Kaido after breaking out of prison? Kaido I mean, just bopped him and put him back in jail, pretty much. 
maybe. I mean, if they have some sort of historical, cultural significance, then yeah, maybe. And especially if he had plans for the numbers pretty early on and knew that he needed, like, decently strong people or something of that sort. He wouldn't... Well, he probably would willingly use his own people, but if he already <laughs> had these samurai, why not use them first, right? That's true. Plus, Kaido's MO is kind of like defeat a dude, break him down, and try and get him to join his side. So maybe he was just kind of trying to wait him out. But they never broke, so monsters they had to become. That would make sense. Yeah. So, uh, interested to see if this goes anywhere. It's classic Oda introducing what may be a pretty big development pretty late in the game. Uh, but I am fascinated by it, and I really hope it goes somewhere fun. Uh, yeah, <laughs> hopefully fun, not sad. <laughs> Quite so. No doubt it'll be really cheerful. Yeah. We pop back to the second floor of the castle, where uh, Robin and uh, company are fleeing from CP0. Uh, apparently, they are real buff. Robin and Brooke jump down to the floor below, where Robin comments that the, the mask-wearing people of CP9 are the most elite of the CP9, meaning these two guys are especially buff even among CP0 members. So that's pretty spooky, if so. I kind of thought these dudes were kind of the chumps of the group, considering how they were being sassed at by uh, Rob Lucci, but not so, apparently. I mean, Rob's just a cocky dude, so... <laughs> Indeed. I also was reading this morning, shortly after the chapter came out, uh, a tweet by Sandman, one of the many pretty good translators in the community. He read the chapter this morning, of course, and then like tweeted something he remembered from uh, back when Film Gold came out. Uh, apparently, if you saw that movie in Japan, they gave you like a little little mini info booklet that describes like the characters in the, in the movie and their roles. And in that, so it's level of canon is, of course, debatable. But in that little booklet, it describes Rob Lucci's job within CP0 to be the commissioner. And also he received that job after a Spandine, Spandam's dad, got, like, too ill or something for it. So he might, like, literally be the boss of CP0 now. Oh. Wow. Indeed. I didn't even know that Spandine had moved to CP0. Neither did I until this yeah, morning. <laughs> this is a lot of news for me. Um, kind of weird that Rob Lucci would get beat up by Luffy two years ago and then get promoted to like the highest level of cipher pole and also be in charge of them. But, you know, world government's going to do what they're going to do, I guess. But what if it's the... What if the levels between Rob Lucci and these masked dudes are the same as... Uh, in Water 7 and all that, and his lobby uh, has Rob Lucci to Spandam. <laughs> um, that would be quite embarrassing for these two. And I think the people who are spreading the rumors need to redefine their definition of elite. Oh, did I say that backwards? I meant Spandam to Rob Lucci. Though. Oh, oh, you think these guys are like the Rob Lucci to... Yes, like current yes, to Spandam. Lucci's Spandam. Oh, uh, that's terrible then, and Robin and Co. should run faster. 
<laughs> right? Like, maybe this actually is a demotion for Rob. He was put here to, like, show him how small he is. But who knows? That could be. He seems to be taking it in stride, <laughs> certainly, if that's the case. And he got to keep his bird, so can't complain <laughs> too much. Oh, I wouldn't, yeah. Brooke and Robin currently in trouble, trying to get away. Not great for them. Uh, then we pop up to the true drama of the chapter, to the Pleasure Hall, one of the first places we actually saw in Onigashima, where Sanji appears to have just delivered an unconscious girl, or not unconscious, just damaged and crying, to uh, a group of other geishas. He's being accosted by them. They're throwing stuff at him, trying to get him to go the heck away. Apparently, what has happened here is while Sanji was fleeing from Queen, he encountered one of these geishas, blacked out for a minute, and when he regained like consciousness, she had been sent flying and was bleeding pretty badly while looking at him with fear in her eyes. We don't get to see what actually happened there, but Sanji at least thinks that he blacked out and like kicked this woman. Not great for uh, his mental state, certainly. Yeah, this is this is weird. I, I don't know how else to put it. This is such a weird situation for Oda to enact here. Oh, man. Sanji has had enough. Let him rest. <laughs> it could just be, like, a classic Oda fake-out. Like, the fact that we don't actually see it happen, like, even in the flashback... Makes me think right. that Oda's going to pull the old switcheroo on us. You have to expect it if you've read over a thousand chapters, right? Like, <laughs> Indeed. So maybe it's just something like, oh, Sanji saw her, she was running at him or something, and oh, she tripped and bonked into his super-hardened body. Got scared after that, but if that's the case, like, she remains conscious throughout all this. She should have just said something. <laughs> well... She could also be working for Kaido. Like, I don't know if that has any legs, but I, mean, I can't think of how else you do a turnaround like this. I mean, maybe she's working for Kaido, but what is... He doesn't gain anything from yeah. this. I know. Like, Who benefits from, like, <laughs> this lady pretending to have been kicked by Sanji? Right. I don't know. It's not like... Well, I guess somebody else could have shown up and, like, hit her as Sanji was going near her but like they'd have to be so fast and they would have to know a lot about sanji mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like it's i don't know i hope there is some weird thing that oda pulls off but he's gonna have to work his magic to to pull me over on it now i kind of think it might be i mean it would certainly suck for him emotionally but better for his characterization if he actually did kick this woman and all the like mm. existential crisis he goes through thereafter is like properly justified yeah just doesn't seem like something that oda would do so i guess we'll find out but in the wake of this sanji gives a little speech inside his brain <laughs> in which he asks luffy <laughs> who he would prefer the real him who really sucks when it comes to fighting woman opponents or cruel cold emotionless soldier of science who can beat up even bad boys like Queen, as long as he is ordered to. He decides, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to let Germa run my life. I can't do anything about the, what's already been awakened in my body, but I can say, 
no more. And he smashes the raid suit beneath his boot, taking his destiny into his own hands. I do love the explosion of the raid suit. It's a cool pose. It's a cool explosion. The queen looks like a fool. Everything's good. <laughs> Indeed. That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that for some reason, even after the entirety of Whole Cake Island, which was like Sanji's character arc, pretty much, that he decides to make every character moment on Onigashima also a Sanji character moment. No one else, He's been... not Luffy, not anybody, has gotten like proper characterization the entire arc, but uh, Sanji's getting it all. <laughs> He's getting a lot of like growth. It's mm-hmm, pretty mm-hmm. incredible. It's rough on him, but Indeed. it's happening. I'm sure he'll come out the other side of it all the stronger. But yes, for the moment, not doing great. Uh, what do you think? Is the raid suit actually gone forever? I don't know. Queen says, I want to see you transform, not I wanted to see you transform. What I mean, what does he know? But he could, if anyone's going to be able to like reconstruct it or whatever, I guess it's him. <laughs> could be. We see like an explosion and like kind of two explosions, really, like an explosion behind Sanji and also like dust clouds or something directly at his feet. But the raid suit itself is like a shape memory alloy. So it could be that the raid suit itself actually survives this stomp and just like the canister that is exploding. So maybe somebody like Frankie could like reconstruct it, but if that happens, it kind of makes this moment, you know, fly out the window. So I sure hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, it'd make it a little less impactful, huh? Sure would cheapen this if it just got undone at the end of it. For the moment, Sanji's looking real cool. He says here, farewell, Germa. Farewell, woman's bath. Gotta do this one myself. Good for you, Sanji. At least not going to be perving on women while invisible. <laughs> Well done. I'm so proud of him. It's the smallest of small bars, but I'm glad he cleared it. Mm-hmm. Then Sanji decides to make a phone call to uh, his buddy, Zoro, who is currently really busy, but, you know, he can text and drive at the same time. It's safe. If he can do ventriloquism, this is nothing. That's true. He's holding a conversation with a sword in his mouth while using those swords to deflect attacks. From one of the most powerful dudes in the series so far. Indeed. Uh, busy man, this Zoro. Sanji's basically called him to say, hey, I don't know how this Germa augmentation thing is going to pan out for me. I know we're going to beat the Beast Pirates real soon, but if after the fact I'm not acting like me, finish me off. And uh, Zoro, uh, <laughs> chill man that he is, and you know he's got to keep that little competition he's got with Sanji going decides you know what that sounds good to me (laughs) something to look forward to but uh hey man don't die before that keeping that little bit of a brotherhood between the two of them alive and kicking I like that a lot makes them both look like real cool boys that respect one another right like this is this is real growth for both of them here like Zoro doesn't even flinch to it he trusts that this would be the best thing for everyone because Sanji said it. Indeed. Sanji wouldn't have interrupted their fight and his for nonsense. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, like you said, it's just cool. 
then on this final page, uh, Sanji appears to disappear from sight, confusing Queen Bidley for a hot second. Uh, but then he reappears, commenting, I'm already on fire, no need to throw more fuel on that, and slams him with a move that we haven't seen since just after the time skip, Hell Memories. Blasts Queen, he somehow flips upside down in the process. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to imagine that he is just spinning end over end, and this is the frame that we caught him on. <laughs> Indeed. I imagine that as well, but... uh. For the moment, let's real silly. Poor guy. Look at his dumb foot. <laughs> Everything else is like weaponized, and then it's just like mm, dino foot. Look at his little toesies. Oh man. Yeah. So a couple things about this, Jordan. Oh really? <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? Do you think Sanji is just moving really quick in that panel where he appears to disappear, or has he developed the ability to turn invisible? Without the raid suit. <sighs> I don't... I think it's probably some form of invisibility. Like camouflage or something like that. The sh, like just S-H-H sound effect. Or maybe he actually says that. But like <laughs> it's a... It's a black speech bubble. And I don't... I don't know how often, if ever, we've seen that. Uh, I'll tell you. I went back and did the research. I went and looked Thank at you. the. Uh, <laughs> I went back and looked at the chapter. We find out that Shiryu has taken Absalom's ability, mm. uh, and it's not quite the same uh, sound effect in English. Um, there is like kanji there or katakana. I'm not sure which. And the Absalom Shiryu chapter. But it's just English here, um, so I don't know if it is literally the same in Japanese or not. But here it is sh, and in that chapter it is like swish, kinda. Hmm. Certainly similar. So it could very well be based on the sound effect invisibility, which is you yep. know useful for our boy. If so, uh, it's probably gonna stress him out <laughs> if that is the case. It's got to be limited in some factor. Like, I can't imagine it would be able to be held as long or, you know, be as good as full invisibility. Like, there has to be some downside to it. Because, again, otherwise the losing of the raid suit becomes weaker. But if this is invisibility, that is good news for people like me who were concerned that... It would be revealed that Sanji's fire powers were due to his Germa modifications. Because as far as we know, all the Germa only have like their one special thing, right? Like Reiju's got that poison power and mm -hmm. uh, Yonji's got the weird extendo arm that I don't really understand, etc. <laughs> so if Sanji's like gimmick as a Germa man is invisibility, but that means indeed... Again, as far as we know, his fire powers are based off his hot, burning heart. Which is, yeah, you know, great. That's what I want it to be. Well done, Oda. You're really handling this better than I expected you to. And uh, I'm sorry I doubted you. It's still really weird because it's uncharted territory. But, like, he has to stay relevant with Zoro, who probably also is getting a power buff here. Like, 
He's got advanced armament hockey, right? Like, that's the last... Is that the last power-up that he got? Or was Enma after that? Uh, he got Enma... Zoro hasn't actually revealed the ability to use advanced armament like Luffy was using oh, really? it in his training, but he was stated by Kaido to be using advanced conqueror's hockey. Oh, that's what it was. Yes, yes. thank you. So, like, he's got a buff. Sanji has to be, you know, right there with him, I guess, you know, a little, I don't know, whatever. People can fight about that all they want. I don't care. But this would be a cool way to do it. It gives him a tactical edge. It fits his, like, spy, like, yeah, kind of spy abilities that he has. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It would be pretty good. I'm not really all that concerned about, like, the Zoro-Sanji similar power dynamic, but... I've been saying for a long time that if Luffy's going to become the Pirate King and he's going to beat Kaido with this arc, then his number one and number two guys have to be able to defeat Kaido's number one and number two guys. Mm -hmm. Based on Sanji's showings up until this fight began, pretty much, uh, would not be very easily justified if he just kind of took this guy out. So, gotta buff him up somehow. And uh, so far, I've been pretty impressed with how Oda's been doing it. Yeah. Also, there's been a lot of fighting between Zoro and King that we're just not seeing. Yeah, I'm just going to assume it's just like casual-ish combat. <laughs> oh yeah. <It's laughs> we'll see the casual. real stuff later. Perhaps Zoro's dad will come into play in some capacity. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how those two things are going to be connected in any way, but uh, Oda will figure it out. <laughs> He's like outside on... A random ledge under Onigashima, kinda? He's, like, on the side of it? Yeah, he's, like, next to the Skull Dome, I guess. And, you know, Yamato's heading down from yeah. one of the higher floors, so... I don't know. I don't know how that'll be sorted out, but... There's one last thing I wanted to address before we uh, end this discussion, Jordan. Okay. And that is the topic of Sanji's eyebrows. You're on the last page, right? Yeah. Take a look at that panel over on the right, right next to Zoro's head, and you'll see oh, that Sanji's that. eyebrows is going the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And this has been the case for the entire chapter, except for in the flashback um, to Whole Cake Island Sanji, where he's, like, berating his brothers. So it doesn't seem as though Oda just forgot, because he gets it right once in the past. Right. It is intentional. Seems so. So, for some reason, Sanji's eyebrow is now going the other way, notably the same direction as his brother's. A sign that, like, he is just becoming more Germa-ish, perhaps? That's my best and only guess <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, I, yeah. It, it fits with the chapter overall. It fits with what's going on. Like, if that's true, I'll miss his old eyebrows, but here we are. I guess I will, too. I mean, I preferred post- or pre-time skip Sanji, where his eyebrow was going up instead of down. I just think that looks aesthetically better. But if this is, like like I said before, just like a symbol that he is becoming more like them, then in that sense, I don't want to stick around, but yeah, I like the look better. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt that it is yeah, more aesthetically pleasing, for sure. <laughs> whatever this is this is a manga <laughs> like it's it can be silly and it was always 
kind of silly, and I liked that factor. <laughs> Just saying I'm of two minds about it. I liked the look better, but I liked the thematic relevance of the old. Oh, I... Yeah, I hear you. I know. We'll see how that goes, I suppose. Uh, I think we have rambled on about Sanji enough again. <laughs> um, anything else that you would like to comment on before we move on to the reread, though? Uh, nope. I think we are good to go. We'll jump on into the reread then, this time covering the 10-chapter chunk, 389 through 399, the Robin flashback leading up to the Rocket Man bridging the gap to the Tower of Justice. Lots, lots, lots to talk about here. Starting with possibly Frankie's weirdest move. <laughs> this is where you draw the line. <laughs> well, I just don't get it. He said he couldn't work on his back, but his butt can inflate. Like, come on, what? He can, like, bend forward to a certain extent, I'm sure. But, you know, the back is the bit that's doing the bending. So it's harder going the other way. I'm sure it is, especially for someone built like this man. But uh, it still works really well, uses up a lot of cola, but, you know, it provides them a window. He extends, well, no, he goes the opposite way as a normal centaur. Never mind, that's nonsense. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, I, I tried to think of why this makes sense, and it just, I don't know. <laughs> Got nothing. Yeah, it makes sense because it had to, right? And that's fine and yeah that that gives robin the window to at least hear out luffy even though she doesn't want to then we see more of the like the crew trying to pull the levers to drop the drawbridge and the guilty jury shows up and they're explained to be made entirely of ex-pirates and that's why you know no one's ever gotten anything other than a guilty sentence here mm -hmm. but they also seem to be made up of clones because <laughs> the two that confront yokozuna look identical to the two against zamba and kiwi i'm sure it's just by coincidence that those two are just literal twins, twins. yeah <laughs> if confronted in an sbs i'm sure that is how oda would justify what he's done here probably yeah one one pair saw how well the other pair worked together, and they were like, oh yeah, we should do that. Indeed. But then, everyone makes it to the roof through one way or another, and they all have quite a spectacular entrance <laughs> in their own regards. Zoro cuts a hole in the roof because he's lost, and it takes out one of the dudes, but also lifts Nami and Chopper through it. <laughs> Nami lands quite gracefully. Chopper Naturally. gets a bonk on the head. Uh, <laughs> then Zoro just kind of pulls himself up, presumably with just one arm. Sanji <laughs> does a flying soup boot through the <laughs> hole. And, and he goes through this hole that was created just recently and somehow thinks he's the first to arrive. And then Usopp is thrown by one of the giants. Uh, and we never really see him land, but he does have a major lump on his noggin the next time we see him. <laughs> Indeed. We can just kind of assume how that landing went down from that. Yeah, he's pretty upset for the next, like, couple uh, panels we see the poor guy. It's rough being the normal guy in this crew of monsters, plus Nami. 
He's doing... <laughs> yeah. But at least Nami didn't get well. literally tossed up a building. Uh, yeah. Yeah, or he didn't be assaulted as a use to launch other people into the air. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, boy. It's rough out there. Yeah. Uh, but cut back to the Giants killing dozens with a belly flop. That's a pretty good move. The classic Oimo press. <laughs> I think it was like last chunk where like they put in like the the voted fan favorite attacks, I think it was. Yeah. I'm sure if this had happened before that, <laughs> it would be number one, no doubt. <laughs> it's number one in my book. Indeed. Oh, I just I love that it gets a name. It's mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. He's probably used it so many times. Oh yeah. I'm sure uh Annie's lobby is used to getting like invaded, so they're very busy all the time. Uh, but when they're not busy, thinking up cool attack names. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, they, they jump down from the tower when they're first introduced. So he probably thought about that as an entrance move. <laughs> Indeed. That's his special entrance move, akin to a Might Guy's dynamic entry from Naruto. Yes, you gotta look cool. Uh, but then we jump to Robin's backstory, which is really the meat of this chunk. And the most tragic thing that was ever put to paper. It really is. We'll get into it, but man, it's so sad. I mean, one of the one of the first things that's just awful is uh, a kid points at Robin, calls her the monster girl, and their mom scolds them for the pointing and the pointing only. <laughs> cool kid, cool mom. No need to apologize for your unkind words. Uh... Only the rude gestures that would get you like kicked out of being one of the costume people at Disneyland or what have you. <laughs> <laughs> this kid's future is ruined. Yeah, this is the true crime. Oh, yeah, but it's okay because Robin is a tried and true capital G genius. <laughs> like confirmed being an archaeologist scientist at the age of eight. Like just incredible. I know she's done nothing but read for six years, apparently, but damn, is she good. At an impressive pace, it seems. And I think Clover says that it was like a a doctorate exam or something Basically, like that. Basically, yeah. So she's like a doctor of archaeology? Yep. So that's pretty dope. Well done, mm-hmm. Robin. <laughs> You've made great strides. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When I first was reading through this, I was like, oh man, are they just... Like, is this just a test that they gave her and they're celebrating to make her feel good? Like, is this adults doing something for a kid? But no, no, this is real. <laughs> oh, it has to be real. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of Professor Clover, that dude's rad as hell. <laughs> Big fan of the Clover Man, huh? Yeah, a lot of these, like, mentor types have just been really hitting home lately iceberg and now this guy like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. two dudes who really have their shit together and follow their code and like just doesn't back down i love it indeed this man later even stands up to the gorosei themselves and (laughs) doesn't bat down until he's literally shot to death good on you clover well done Mm -hmm. uh so in this big tree there's a model of a planet that has six moons one of which has its own moon. <laughs> uh, is this the planet that our story takes place on? You know, there's been a lot said about the globe 
in the tree of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I have I have no fucking clue. Right. I mean, every time we see the moon in the story, there's only ever the one, right? The mm-hmm. mates aren't talking about, oh, if we look at one of the like 30 moons that are in the sky, <laughs> we'll turn <laughs> it to a Sulon. So either their moon or their globe is just wrong really really bad (laughs) indeed or maybe between the time that that globe was made because we know the tree of knowledge is really old that's true between then and the present day five out of those six moons got destroyed and maybe that's why the the seas in one piece are all super weird oh i kind of like that that's that's fun i think it kind of makes more sense if they're all super weird with a bunch of moons but yeah (laughs) I would imagine that it would also be weird if you, like, had a bunch of moons and then you lost them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, if they were always there since the forming of the planet, or well, I guess it wouldn't be from the forming, but soon after or whatever. Indeed. Shortly thereafter, yes. Yeah, that could really, that could influence some stuff. Indeed. Uh, that's literally just speculation, but, you know, maybe sure. it has something to do with what happened during the Void Century. Oh, man. Yeah. Who the heck knows? Maybe that ancient kingdom was on the moon, and Cain is Lunarian from that moon, one of the six moons that got destroyed, and that's how Oda's going to loop it back into the story. Yeah. Joke's on you, Oda. We figured it out. <laughs> Beat you to it. Sorry, bud. We've revealed your secrets seven years early. Well done, but can't pull the wool over our eyes. Nah. No, no, no. So, when Saul gets his introduction... There is a little placard thing that makes sure to specify he's a giant, just in case you were confused. Like, I'm pretty sure Robin is in this same frame, just really <laughs> tiny. <laughs> but I love the confirmation. Indeed. Just gotta make it extra clear for the slower members of his reader base. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. get it. Uh, but I really appreciate that, like, almost immediately after that, uh, we get a little bit of insight into, like, giants as a whole uh just because saul in brief says you know i'm a giant too but not all of us are like from those like like those savages like the ones from elbaf um those are the famous ones but apparently there are other giant natures scattered throughout the world and that's where uh, one of them is where saul comes from yeah they're not just a warrior race like they have lives and stuff you know it Indeed. it's cool it's it's interesting to see one of them made it to uh what was he vice admiral indeed and that's really the fascinating point that he's like we're not all like crazy warriors like the ones from elbaf but he's a vice admiral and therefore knows hockey and such <laughs> yeah but he also like he said we're not all like those ones from elbaf after he had the awakening that like oh, shit's fucked. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I could see it going either way. I like to believe that he just, you know, recently had his change of heart and it was sticking to it. Good on you, Saul. Sadly, he breaks the streak of giants being introduced in pairs, though, so it was fun while it lasted. I'm sure you can consider his hat to be its own separate giant just based on its size. So there you go. <laughs> Problem solved. Uh, yeah, either that or Olvia's brain, which is probably gigantic. Indeed. But, uh, I mean, Saul proves to be a pretty dang smart in his own right. Like, I don't know. I think it's, it's 
really good and i'm sure a bunch of people agree the whole when you're happy you laugh so it follows that when you laugh you'll start to feel happy like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that is that is just psychology (laughs) if y'all didn't know like if you smile you will be happier and uh it's great that saul saw this like really vulnerable really sad girl that like made fun of him and he was like well okay i'm gonna turn this into a lesson actually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. truly inspirational mm-hmm. love that guy back back to clover he kind of he points out the real mystery of the poneglyphs here when he's like being confronted by spandine and is basically like on the ground rounded up with all the other archaeologists um in my opinion, he had to know that Robin would still be, like, listening nearby, because apparently she's just done that her whole life. Like, that's how she knows about the Poneglyphs to start with. That's how she learned how to read the Poneglyphs, as a matter of fact. <laughs> right. She's just that good at sneaking around. It's <laughs> fantastic. Um, but he, like, makes sure to condense the mystery behind the stone one last time, both for her to take on to the future and also to make the government know that like they're not infallible <laughs> like <laughs> they can be they can be found out and they can be toppled and i love it like it is such a power move to pull this out when you have guns trained on you and uh, a buster call waiting so when the elder gives the order to actually attack ohara there's a panel where it shows them in silhouette with his head in hand looking almost kind of sad uh and that doesn't really fit the personality i have for them in my head but i i think there's something later where he's like shown to be remorseful about it uh so like i don't know that just adds to the mystery behind these dudes i suppose it could just be like he's feeling bad because they figured out our secret and you know maybe someone else could um or maybe it is, like you said, and he just feels bad that they had to be wiped out. Because he says that, uh, or somebody says, that the scholars of Ahara have been like an actual pretty big benefit to like cultures around the world. So I'm sure if it could be avoided, he wouldn't want to wipe them out. But, you know, secrets got to be kept, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. This this seems like a pretty direct parallel or analog to or nod at the oh shit i'm blanking on it what is it the library of alexandria or something like that indeed yeah pretty pretty clear we just lost so much information and really useful stuff that could have been used that could have been used for any number of improvements but uh you know a few people or you know one group decided well that's not allowed and took it out Really sucks. Poor the tree of knowledge. Yeah. It was a weird looking tree, but it didn't have to go like that. <laughs> Indeed. Um, anyway, Spandine proves that he is as unintelligent as his son when he starts the buster call while he and his men are still on the island that's being targeted. Yeah. I mean, he really didn't think that through very well, but he, uh, I say he had never seen a buster call before. He had just heard about it and he just made some assumptions about how it worked in practice. Uh, didn't work what out. What were those assumptions? That they would <laughs> aim around him and his men? Well, I think he just assumed that they would, like, 
wait a hot second for him to leave, uh, and then he would signal them again for the shots to actually be fired. Gotcha. I think he assumed button press one, preparation. Primes it. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. He still should have checked that before he got the button. <laughs> no doubt. Maybe, I, I think it was Sengoku who gave him the thing. Mm-hmm. He should have explained the particulars <laughs> at that time. Yeah. I think Sengoku's usually a pretty smart dude, but uh, <laughs> not here. Part of his plan to get rid of Spandine. <laughs> there we go. Two birds, one stone. Yeah, sadly, uh, as as we knew, everyone except Robin perishes here and now. Um, Even the theoretically innocent ones, thanks to your boy Akainu. Yeah, fuck that dude. Uh, our first instance of that man being the most terrible man, which fortunately for Robin helps uh, Aokiji make his decision to let her live. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Aokiji is a mystery. So many mysteries still. He proves he's not as bad as Akainu, so yay. A low bar, but yes. He does take out Saul, though, who has the will of D, and I guess passes that will on to Robin? I guess so. I mean, we don't really have any indication of, like, what the will of D even is, really, but, like, certainly passes on... His will. I mean, he's got he's got the D, and everyone in his family has that in their name. So that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I take it. And I think Saul is, like, the only marine guy we've seen to have it. Does Garp not have D? Well, sure, but, like, don't prove me wrong immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you know you? I love that man. <laughs> really put me on the spot here Jordan. but yeah <laughs> aside from garp i guess who is like a weird exception because both his son and his grandson are like huge criminals oh yes but, but yeah garp and uh saul the the two marines with even like half a conscience i've i've heard some theories out there that robin could be luffy's half sister uh, some people seem what? to think that Olvia and Roger could have met up and had a kid. But, uh, I don't know. Considering well, O'Hara is in the West Blue and I don't know Roger's timeline all that well, I certainly haven't signed on to this. Well, Roger was born on in Lodetown, in the East Blue. Uh, then, when he left there, I mean, maybe he traveled before that, but he met uh, Rayleigh also in load town before starting his mission mm. but they were pirating for a long time so anything <laughs> could have happened yeah. between point a and point b i guess but and robin I does w- have black hair <laughs> that's true there's only a few people in the world <laughs> that do <laughs> um, uh, i think it's just a bit of a stretch that you know some people want to be true but indeed had to throw it out there quite so <laughs> mid who a big who boy to that one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rereading this has like made me excited, for lack of a better word, um, for when Akainu comes back into the main story. Like, I don't know, he's just a real wild card. Um, you mean like in the present day when he like shows up on Wano or whatever his next bit is? Yeah, 
like where where he's gonna pop up next, what side he's gonna be on at that point. Like, I don't know. I don't necessarily like him, but of the admirals we've seen, he's I guess he's the best of the bunch. Are we talking about Akainu or Aokiji right now? Ah, oh, fuck! I messed up. I meant Aokiji. Okay. I have now Kuzan I written it, and I was like, I can change this on the fly, but no, I couldn't. I was on board with everything you were saying until you said uh, Akainu was one of the better Marines we've seen. Yeah, that's my bad. We literally established the opposite of that to be true. <laughs> Talking about the ice guy here. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but yeah, last we saw Aokiji in the flesh, he was like messing up a Doflamingo real hardcore. And Doflamingo was like, oh, I hear you've been working with Blackbeard for some mysterious purpose. Yeah. Maybe he's the... 10th titanic captain oh man for what reason would he be working with blackbeard yeah that doesn't seem to fit what we've seen from him lately it might be like an undercover sort of thing but blackbeard seems to be a fairly cunning dude so i'd be kind of surprised if he was like fully duped by this guy i don't know maybe he really has turned i don't think so i hope not Let's let's say that. So we still don't know where Robin got her fruit powers. She just kind of has them. Uh, and I think that's pretty weird. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it seems like devil fruits can pop up pretty much anywhere. And as far as we know, she's never been off this island aside from when she was a teeny tiny baby. Right. Yeah. Sometime before she was eight, took a, a bite of flower flower as the old song goes. <laughs> yeah everyone knows it everyone loves it indeed yeah i just think it's weird i don't know i guess not everyone is shown actually acquiring their actually yeah like chopper isn't shown acquiring it it's just explained yeah it's just kind of stated chopper ate the fruit on drum <laughs> at some point <laughs> yeah we don't all get uh kaku and khalifa levels of eating it I think it's only recently that we even like saw official image of what the flower flower flute looked like in like the one piece magazine or something i think oh well i'd believe it trust i know i was wrong about something literally like five minutes ago but <laughs> trust me on this one uh yeah no problem by me i don't know robin and her backstory at least like at the end after she has escaped the island like when it it shows the flashes of all the different hardships that she's been through like it kind of seems like a warning against the power of word or the media almost like because the government controls the media in some regard in this world <laughs> as far as big news morgan's whims allow yes <laughs> right but we don't know when he started working there or maybe we do but i don't know if it's been for 20 years um, but regardless, the government puts out lie after lie about Robin, vilifying her in everyone's eyes because they fear for their own lives against mm -hmm. this demon that they have completely fabricated just because she can read. <laughs> and in that context, like her 79 million berry bounty, frankly, kind of seems low for like the amount of damage that the world government seems to think that she can do. It's a pretty measly bounty. I mean, I guess she is eight at the time, but that doesn't go up at all <laughs> between 
then and now? Um, well, we know she was pretty good at hiding, right? Like, I don't know, I never really... No. I, don't, I don't remember seeing a flash of... Well, there was one run-in with the government, maybe. That's all well and good, but even recently, after the whole Alabasta stuff, or during it even, the government found out she was working with Crocodile. Yeah, yeah, it should have gone up with that, for sure. Good point. Very strange. Yeah. Yeah, so Robin just gets betrayed by pretty much every person she interacts with, aside from the Scholars and now the Straw Hats. So, like, it makes sense that she is resisting this right now. Like, she just doesn't know how to react, and she doesn't want the only people that she cares about to get hurt. Um, That's all true. But uh, in Crocodile's defense, uh, Robin did technically betray him first. <laughs> he was planning to do it, but I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I don't know. Just Robin's shown to be just strong and like resilient and brave. And I know I'm a big Robin fan, but like she's just an excellently written character. So, bravo to Oda. Indeed. Really liked seeing the backstory that led her to be the woman that she is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, I don't think I'll ever be able to get through chapter 398 without at least tearing up. Like, the way that Oda builds up to that climax through the entire flashback is just beautifully done, coupled with the whole crew standing in defiant solidarity against the entire world government. Like, it's just phenomenal. And there's still so much, like, to come in the, the coming chunks, but, like, Oh, it gets me every time, Thomas. Oh, yeah. This is one of the, like, three big moments in the series that always make me tear up a little bit. Uh, the other one, up until this point, being, like, the X on the arm moment back in Alabasta. Mm, that's a very good one. Uh, indeed. Um, and, like, every, like, emotional note we've hit throughout Water 7 and Annie's Lobby up until now, aside from the Usopp stuff, has been building up to this big one. And, you know, mm-hmm. it hits hard. Yeah, delightful. Excellent writing. Um, and now the Straw Hats have a real reason to be here. They want to save her. She wants to be saved, and they're going to make it so. Yeah, with Frankie, who almost dies. <laughs> yeah. Almost immediately after this, gets hit dead on by the sea train. Well, even before that, like, Spandam just pushed him oh, into yeah. the infinite <laughs> abyss. Indeed. He saw his life flash before his eyes in that moment. Yeah, but like, thank oh, goodness nuts. for <laughs> thank goodness for Kokoro and her like extremely good intuition. <laughs> she hits well this ramp just right, right speed, right time, catches the crew who have well, some of them have jumped, some have been carried. Uh, <laughs> and it's just a it's a fun little stopping point for us. Uh, I only had two gags oh for real chunk. i only had two as well and uh we actually talked about them both they were the coup de boo or mm. coup de boo and frankie getting hit by the rocket man okay okay uh my two are uh when the baskerville gets split the middle one wants to be called princess out of nowhere and oh, i support yes. it uh and then in the panel where rocket man bursts through the gate and like ramps up the drawbridge you can see the baskervilles being blasted to the side Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh i just think that's really good background humor and it's always good to see that you've been really finding great amusement in 
the Baskerville crew, the <laughs> last just, few chapters. They're just weird. <laughs> and they don't serve much of a purpose, but they do provide important intel and, like, I don't know, they do give some comedic relief since Usopp isn't around, kind of. <laughs> I mean, he does get thrown through the air, which is it's funny, but yeah, it, not in the same way. Narratively, he like serves as a roadblock to our more minor characters, but you know, that's not where like the meat is. So, right. gotta make him relevant in other ways, I suppose. <laughs> gotta make him memorable. But that covers our respective thoughts. Hooray! Uh, there is a break next week. Next chapter doesn't release until November twenty-first. Feel free to send in your thoughts on this chapter via email to inheritedwillpodcasts at gmail.com, on Twitter to at inherited underscore will, or simply in a comment on the platform of your choice. As always, thanks for listening.